What's your favorite meal of the day? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. Most days... Uh, <laughs> he didn't blink. I, yeah. Well, I mean, most days like are oriented around dinner. I don't even eat full meals a lot of times for either breakfast or lunch. So you have to Which eat I don't think dinner. is like a great... Yeah. Yeah. I have to eat a good dinner. Yeah. Well, you got to do whatever works for you. Got it. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage. I am joined by the one and only Sylvia Lubau for another fantastic episode. Sylvie, what's up? How are you? Pretty good. Bopping my head. That's usually a good indicator of like a good day. It's a good signal. It's a good signal it's that Sylvie's having signal. a good day. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a lot of other signals, signals that you get when you can tell as a creator that things are starting to work, quantitative signals, qualitative signals. We have a great guest today, Jay Klaus, who's the founder of Creator Science, who's going to be breaking through with us on all of this different stuff, how to think about being a creator in 2024, what it takes to get started, what scaling looks like, what it doesn't look like. Fantastic episode coming up very soon. But first, Sylvia, I have to ask you the question, what's got you talking too loud? Well, I saw Merrily We Roll Along last night, Broadway show, starring okay. Daniel Radcliffe, Jonathan Groff. The Jonathan Groff. The Jonathan Groff. From Disney fame. And Lindsay Mendez. And it was amazing. It was touching and interesting. And just everyone was so, so good. But the cherry on top of that amazing mm -hmm. performance mm -hmm. was at the very end, they did an auction for a piece of paper that was like in, in the production. Um, that was a typewriter written note between Daniel and Jonathan. They You're did saying a live on stage, auction. Like the actual yeah. piece of paper. Okay. The actual piece of paper. Yeah, that so you pay to see the like, show and then you pay to try to get something from the show. Can you not ruin this? It was I'm very not ruining cool. It. I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was for a charity. It was an auction for a charity. And the thrill of being at an auction was whew, I've never been to an auction. Did you win? It was amazing. I could not. Did you win? I, I made a bid of a hundred dollars. And okay. the final bid went to somebody for $3,000. So there you go. Okay. Okay. Uh, did they only auction off that one piece of paper? Did they it auction was just off that like one everything thing. on the set? It was just that one thing. Okay. Very interesting. Like, they always do that? No. This was just like a thing that they tried. A random thing Weird. that they tried. Huh. They always do a charity drive for this specific charity. But this okay. live auction was an anomaly. Auctions and are fun. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe, great auctioneer. Oh, he, he can ran really the go. He ran it. Did he go really fast and speak really I have quickly video and... footage of it. So okay. he's like doing it like, like I know being crazy, but it's for a charity. <laughs> You're waiting for that. <laughs> waiting for the offensive imitation. Well, now that I knew we got there. Yeah, yeah, now that we got there, what has you talking too loud? Well, you know, I'll go down a similar vein. A few days ago, I saw Steve Martin and Martin Short in oh, like their little variety show thing. And it was, it was so funny and delightful. And it was before it started, it was funny. It was like packed house <laughs> and they so play funny. like 
uh, they play like all these like famous clips of them. These two have like a variety show they've been doing for like a long time. And I don't even really know what this is. I just know that I love only murders in the building. And I know that like when they hosted the SNL episode last year, that their monologue was like the most watched thing. And they're showing all of this stuff from them on SNL back in the day and father of the bride and the audience is so into oh this. God, like they're so, the they're so into the clips. Like they're not even on stage and they're going <laughs> yes. bananas. Like people are laughing so hard. And then the Steve Martin walks out instant standing ovation. Like oh, we're talking oh, two seconds. Everyone's up. And I'm like, I've never seen this. I've, I've never seen a situation that's like, that's this passionate, this fast. And you know, he goes up and he makes some jokes about Martin Short. And then Martin Short comes out in the exact same thing again. Oh. And really it was, you know, super fun to be at. It was like very exciting. It was like such a reminder to me of why live events. It sounds like the same thing for you. It's just like, it feels so electric right now. I think especially in a world where it feels even more special. Right. Um, so yeah, it was 100%. just, it was, it was great. It was so fun. Good content. You know, good content goes a long way. Good content and finding people who are really passionate about it goes a long way. And that is exactly the type of thing we talked to Jay about. So let's jump into that interview with Jay right after this break. Hi, I'm Frank, the ad guy. Frank, the ad guy. Creating a top-notch marketing campaign can be a huge undertaking. It requires time, coordination, creativity, and finesse. And it leaves many of us wishing we had more help. But with HubSpot's brand new campaign assistant, you get exactly that. Start by choosing what content you'd like to create, landing pages, marketing emails, or ad copy. Then add a few key points like tone and platform. Sit back and let HubSpot's AI-powered tool do the rest. Campaign Assistant lets you work smarter, not harder. Learn more at HubSpot.com slash campaign dash assistant. Looking to harness the power of video for your business? Whether you're hosting webinars, onboarding new customers, or creating a spiffy landing page, video is key to making an impact. And that's where Wistia comes in. With our complete video marketing platform, we help you create, host, and share videos that not only get views, they also get results. And the cherry on top? Wistia's in-depth analytics and handy email forms. They're the perfect tools for lead generation and understanding your audience. So if you're ready to level up your capital V video marketing strategy, head on over to wistia.com slash TTL. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash TTL. And don't forget to follow at Wistia on social media for more tips, tricks, and video treats. And now, back to the podcast. Jay, what's going on, man? So good to see you again. Good to see you again as well. I love that you guys brought Inbound to the studio. Or maybe you brought the studio to Inbound. Could go either <laughs> way. But I like the continuity. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to just keep you comfortable. I want you to feel like we're still in person sitting next to each other, just chatting. I'm cozy. Um, but yeah, no, it's also a nice, it's nice when you, you know, you build a booth and you have this like whole kind of like thing put together and then you have more uses for it. And now it's just very dynamic, real live backgrounds. This is not AI. This is a real DVD menu. That's what, that's this what it looks real. like. That's what, this yeah, is real. this is the real deal. And customized. Yeah. This is, <laughs> it's customized. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, 
We saw each other in September and we recorded a mini episode of Talking Too Loud. Wanted to have you back for the real thing. I felt like we were cut off. I was so excited. There's so much stuff about you know, what's happening in the world right now with like creator-led businesses, the creator-led economy, what's happening with like growing audiences. We're going to get into all of that. But first, I have to ask you, what's got you talking to that? So I am several, several years late on this, but I just started watching American Horror Story and it okay. is so good. Uh, from a storytelling perspective, it's actually like extremely upsetting in a lot of ways. <laughs> but from a storytelling perspective, it is so good uh, because at no point in watching this show, which, you know, it's it's the seasons are in the same universe, but they're not uh, sequential. So each mm-hmm. season is its own kind of self-contained story that exists in the same universe. But at no point in any season have I been able to predict where the story arc is going, which is wow, incredibly cool. frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but like so <laughs> pleasing to watch because it's not like, oh, I think it's going here and let me let me see if I'm yeah. proved right. It genuinely surprises me every time. That's, that's awesome. I mean, it's hard to find stuff. It's that's hard. That to, yeah, I agree. Exactly. Deeply that's upsetting. Amazing. though. Very, very troubling show. Deeply. So should I watch it or no? <laughs> <laughs> or is it, should I just learn it's about art. it or should I watch it? Is well, it a recommendation uh, or a warning? What's you know? your What's your interest in, <laughs> in horror, horror movies generally? I mean, I go. I would say I I cycle through times when I'm like I'm ready for this. I'll do it, and then I go long stretches not consuming. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see it as scary. I see it as gross and mm-hmm. uh, disturbing, like gratuitous, so, like gratuitous a little bit with the yes. blood. Yeah, it's like on the on the gore level, it's like mm, saw. Mm. I'm not a horror person, by the way. Yeah. So this is surprising yeah. I'm watching any of this. But it's it's like a saw movie on the gore scale. But, yeah. Okay. Um it's like not like it's not like scale. it's not like I'm having nightmares or afraid to go in the basement at night. It's just like okay. makes That's me good. feel weird. Okay. I think the first time I saw Saw, I might have been afraid to go in the basement. So <laughs> maybe I'll avoid it. I definitely wouldn't be able to handle it. We had another <laughs> guest come on recently and she recommended goosebumps disney plus has just come out with a goosebumps revamp yeah and she was like it's not that scary and then i texted savage <laughs> i was like it's so scary really Sylvie's like i could barely make it through this but i i'm like a i'm like a child okay I listen a child growing up i went to every scholastic book fair and i got oh. every goosebumps books that came goosebumps yes. book that came out rl stein from columbus ohio where i'm sitting today oh um, okay so I am the target market for this show. I have tried to watch it twice now. And the beginning just moved too slowly. So this is helping huh. me. It's saying, give it a chance. I because it. I really okay. liked it. I'll give it a third chance. Give it a third. There you go. That's, you know, that's what we drew about people saying about our own content. Just give it a third chance. Just third. try it. <laughs> Third, third, ta- third, what is the phrase? Third time's the charm. Third charm. Thank you. Yeah. Holy yeah, there smokes. you go. Fool me once, um, won't get fooled again. <laughs> All right, let, let's get into content. So, Jay, you're the founder of Creator Science, which is part newsletter, part podcast, part membership. Really interesting model there um, that really helps people become smarter creators. I'd love for those who don't know your story, if you can just tell us, like, how did you get started on this journey as being a creator? Sure. Okay. Rocket ship. So I grew up in a small town and my parents and entire extended family were like K through 12 teachers. I thought that adulthood was getting a degree, 
choosing a job and working that job for 35 years and then collecting retirement. I go to college and meet a couple of guys, kids at the time, really, who had started businesses in high school. And it just blew my mind. I had no model for entrepreneurship before that. I did not know that you could opt out of that default path and build your own thing. Just blew my mind. So at the time, entrepreneurship was synonymous with basically like tech startups, because this is the era of Facebook and Airbnb and Uber. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. So out of college, started a ticketing company. It was like a StubHub competitor. We did the accelerator route. We raised money. We sold the thing. And that was kind of crazy. Took another job at a venture-backed company. That was kind of crazy. Realized that like, I don't know if startups is really for me, but I think there's more to entrepreneurship generally than tech startups. Started freelancing. That was a new thing. And then uh, that was my gateway to the world of courses because I started working with LinkedIn Learning, started uh, learning about people who are earning an income through courses. In my startup life, I was really close to like product development. And I realized content is a product, except I don't have to put this through designers and developers to make it real. So it really spoke to me that the things that I wanted to make, I could fully make and have realized and be out in the world. So that journey was like between 2010 and 2017. And I've been doing the content thing since 2017. Wow. And then was there something that clicked that made you understand that the content is the product? The answer is yes. I'm just trying to think of if there was a moment that's worth telling a story about. I I got really into reading Brian Harris's blog. And Brian, you might know Brian, he he had a blog called Video Fruit back in the day. And it was like a video agency he was doing. And he realized that he could sell video services by creating content and blogging. That put him down the the route of email lists, courses. And he was really putting a lot of work into making very long form in-depth articles about the experiments he was running in the creator world. And this is again, back in like 2017. So that really opened my eyes because I was just starting to write a newsletter because I like fell into the whole email is everything trend back in 2017 as well. And I think it was just that, like I, I wrote every day for a year, published something every day for a year and realized that I could go from like idea, which was literally, you know, the idea of the post to publishing it, having it out to the audience, the user in the same day. How important is it to post every day? Not, but it's important to um, get practice and post often enough that you can improve because ultimately like there are, there are certain aspects of the creator journey that I think you can compress. You can compress Mm -hmm. finding your voice. You can compress getting better. You can compress the journey to feeling self-agency. And so the more frequently you publish, I think you can press that journey. Um, Posting every day, that was a way for me to build the muscle of setting and hitting deadlines, which has been super impactful for me. It was a way to get over like perfectionism in a way. But at some point, it also doesn't serve you because there's only so much you can do in a 24-hour period. So once you start feeling this like inner gnawing of 
it's not a question of can I publish on a deadline that I set. It's a question now of what should the deadline be so that I can make this thing the way I want to make it. Then you start to expand the uh, time horizons on which you publish. So if you're in the beginning, I think publishing more frequently is good. It compresses a lot of the timeline to learn the fundamentals and get things down. But at a certain point, I think it actually can become detrimental. What is the main reasons why creators don't find success? Uh, I think they give up. Like I, I've been on this journey long enough that there's been a lot of people around me that were kind of on the level with me, like peers with me or even beyond me that I'm looking up to who have just since quit. Yeah. Like they, yeah. most people give up more so than are like, oh, the market has totally rejected me and this would never work. No, like we're doing something where we're building distribution person by person, really. And it takes a lot of time. I think about music a lot and how, you know, before the internet is what it was today, small bands would play in a club in a city. They would have a clipboard. People would put their email address on the clipboard. Then they would go to the next city and they would do that. And they would hit like 15 cities. Then they would do it again. And they would email all the people that signed the clipboard yeah. in that city last year and try to get more people there. What we're doing is not different than that, but we expect the speed to be so much faster. So most people just give up before they hit traction. And it doesn't even mean product market fit. It really means traction. You can have good product market fit, but not yet have uh, reached the market itself and seen traction. So I think most people just give up. If I were to add on to that, though, a big reason people don't feel traction is because they haven't identified what's different about their premise as a creator. Differentiation is really, really important. The internet allows infinite scale, which means any topic is subject to a power law and you want to win the word of mouth battle related to some idea or some topic. And if you aren't differentiated and you're like, I'm the video guy, well, welcome to an incredibly competitive landscape. There are a lot of people who have said, I'm the video guy for a long time. So how are you going to be the first to mind when someone's talking about video? You've got to find some way of articulating your worldview that's different, that resonates with people. And so you're not the video guy, you are the mobile video guy, or you are the retro video guy or the video editing guy, you know, something that's a little bit more specific. Some people talk about niche and there's merit to that, but I think your worldview can be your differentiator if you can speak to it and why that's different than most people. I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because we've, we've talked about the power of being different on the show. Do you have advice for people on like how they can articulate their difference or their niche, their specialty? Yeah. Well, let me give you a story of when things really changed for me, to be honest. I've been writing in kind of the same lane for six years. And I would say that I've really only caught traction over the last two years, maybe 18 months. Mm. And that is perfectly correlated with when I started calling my business creator science. The name has had a huge impact. Again, not because the subject of the, the content was different. The name was different. So what happened? At some point, I was looking around in the corners that I'm hanging out online, and I would see conversations like, 
What's the best newsletter for creators? What's the best podcast for creators? And my name wouldn't come up. And I was just thinking, why am I not in the conversation? I don't have to be number one, but why am I not in the conversation? What's going on? So I had this inkling that people just aren't associating me with the word creator as much as I am associating myself with it. Mm. So I, I asked the, the following that I did have and said, what words or ideas do you associate with me? And it was a lot of uh, qualitative words like kind, generous, thoughtful. Um, some people would have some subject ideas like community. Almost nobody said creators. Hmm. So I said, I am not going to win the word of mouth battle. I'm not associated with this idea or this word. I need to do something different. I'm so I literally put the word kind. in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No one's yeah. like, who, I'm who's done the most thoughtful. kind person? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I am done. Um, so I put the word in the brand of the business itself. And over time, that has started to compound because people now categorize me in their own mind where I was hoping that they would. And it's a virtuous cycle. Once you, once you are known for something, other people start perpetuating it. It's not on you to push it out to the market. And so it changes. Anyway, moral of the story. If you aren't sure what's going on, ask the people who are following you, what words or ideas do you associate with me? Or another question I really like is, if I agreed to be your personal coach for a day, what would you want to focus on? And that will tell you what people already regard you as being good at, as knowing. And if that's in alignment with what you want, great. You're doing it right. You just need more time. If it's out of alignment, then you need to adjust the system as a whole to figure out what can I do to become associated with this thing instead of that thing. So this everything you're saying makes sense. And it's like, there's going to be more competition, right? So I think that differentiated worldview is even more important. Like AI is going to, is already making it dramatically easier for more people to make more content. You know, real opinions matter. We see the algorithms and stuff changing already and adapting to that. Um, we're already in an economy today that is very creator led, right? Like, you know, we have interests, we follow the interests. We, you know, if someone's an expert at, building a creator audience. Like if you're talking about something and you're like, this is this one tool I love, like it's obviously going to light up those people who are engaged with you. If somebody is talking about something in your personal life, it's the same thing. But there feels like there's a big difference between B2C and B2B in terms of like, who are the influencers out there? Who are the creators out there? What do you see on that? What do you think is going to happen in particular with B2B? Well, you can win the B2B game by being really good at B2C. Like there, there are people who are household names because they have such a big brand and they appeal to individuals, you know, the, the Hubermans of the world, the Brene Browns, the James Clear, the Ryan Holidays. They have such widespread, you probably wouldn't say these are B2B yeah. people. And yet Ryan Holiday is often hired by associations, organizations, the NFL, you know, to come in and talk to these businesses and these people because they have built legitimacy in the B2C market. So if it's me and I'm trying to influence the B2B world, even though it seems a little roundabout, I think that might still be where I shoot for because I think that's bigger, more resilient over time because in companies are people. 
And those people yeah. are scrolling through the same feeds and the same things, totally. whether they're yeah. B2B or B2C, right? So really, you just need to get in front of the people in these Bs, these businesses that might see you as someone that can come in and serve the business. And I think you do that through the same means as you would if you're trying to reach a B2C audience. Um, that being said, if you wanted to be more surgical, there are tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator where you can identify a really specific profile of who you're trying to reach and be a little bit more hand to hand. But do you think like, so for a B2B brand, like that's trying to build their audience, they're trying to get to be a part of that conversation, but maybe they don't have the creators themselves. Do you think the move is like go and find B2C creators who are like uh, close enough and like build a relationship? How do you think about Because I feel like this yeah. is always what happens is something happens to B2C and then eventually makes it to B2B. The question is how long does it take? And are so you early or are late Are you talking about influencers? You're talking about influencers. Sure. Right? Like, I, yeah, but I'm saying like, so if I have like athletic greens, mm -hmm. go to Huberman, you know, I, I go to the slew of like the bodybuilders and the nutrition people. And you can, in those, that's probably like your best hit. But you obviously, they also go very broad and they go and get on comedy podcasts, like all this like different stuff. Yeah. B2B is like, feels, it kind of feels like crazy to go take some specific like enterprisey tech product to those folks. But maybe it's mm -hmm. not. Maybe people will just start thinking about it properly. So, because I feel like I get this question yeah. from others. That's why I'm asking it is like, how should I think about this huge change happening if I'm in a B2B business and I'm doing marketing? I, I do see it as like a binary, although you could go, you could do a both approach, which is still trying to find the right existing voice who is speaking to that market, but does not represent your company. And then yeah. there's hiring a creative person to basically be the face of your company and try to go out to the market and build up platform as an individual who is also basically the face of this, this organization, you could do a both approach, yeah. but you know, if we just think about what types of recommendations people take, it's often a third party rather yeah. than a first party. Like we're mm -hmm. more likely to yeah. listen to a recommendation from someone else on behalf of another product than someone representing the product. Cause right? it feels more yeah. authentic. Right. So we're I so think used to that. I mean, is, I, that's yeah. I just want to zero in on that piece because I feel like that what you just said is so true. It's like crazy, right? Because in yeah. a world with like so much advertising and all this stuff, you don't know what to believe. It's like, well, if I trust Jay, like if Jay tells me something, like, right, I actually believe him. Or if I I've talked to my friend over here, if I talk to Steve and Steve's like, this thing's great, I'm like, wow, I'm actually yeah. gonna try it because I trust. So just I want to hit that point because you said that in there, but that's like. I guess sometimes that's such yeah. a big change, actually. And it seems like that's going to get more important. Yeah, I would still expect less bias in a third party who is sponsored by paid to endorse something than I would somebody who like is literally employed by the company. There's going to be more bias for the employee yeah. than the, the sponsored influencer, in my opinion. I also think it's harder to do an in-house creator thing and have that be effective for a brand effective in the first place and then effective long-term because if it is effective in the first place, then you have the risk of this person going out on their own and you have to rebuild it. So even if you did want to build it in-house, I would almost take a page from like Barstool Sports and say, I'm not going to just have one in-house creator. I'm going to have two 
so that even if yeah. one leaves, it's unlikely that both will leave at the same time. There's still going to be some continuity and I can transfer the trust and the equity built into the leaving person, into the remaining person or the remaining person into the incoming person, because it's, it's tough to hire someone that's that talented to be on camera or to make the content. Not only that, but then have that resonate with an audience that you can reach somehow. And if all of that is true, that person also is probably a unicorn person with a lot of opportunities. <laughs> so it's tough to like, keep yeah. them, keep them happy long-term. Um, I think it's possible. I think people will do it, especially if you are a brand and you have distribution, you can find a talented person who has yeah. great skills and no distribution yet. You can be kind of that accelerant to help them get a foothold, which they will do. They will appreciate, but eventually you will likely go off and do something else. And do you think that those people who are really creative can come up with the ideas that they need can, you know, try enough balance between going broad and deep and all the things you need to do? Like, do you think that's innate? Is that something that can be built? Is that something you look for in hiring? How do you think about that part of it? Because that's like, I feel like it's, it looks like everywhere you turn, there's just more and more creators. And it's like, is this just a rule of large numbers? Like there's just a lot of people on this earth. And so how do you think about that? I think it's a hard thing to develop. I think if if I have the capacity and interest, which is the important thing, like you need to find someone who has the capacity and interest, that person is probably already making some steps to create content. Uh, it's going to be really hard to go to someone that's already on your team who might have a role that's not externally facing or at least not putting them in the spotlight and say, hey, actually, we want you to be the face of this now. Can you like learn to create content? The content game itself is so hard and so competitive for everybody that you really have to be invested in doing it well to do it well. And that's like thinking about it all the time. It's thinking about it when you're off the clock. It's thinking about it as an observer, as a as a student of the platform when you're just consuming the platform, you know, um, it's getting to be and will continue to become almost like professional sport level competitive where you have to understand the rules of the game. You have to know the players of the game. You have to put in a lot of hours to get really good at this because we're all competing for the same amount of scroll space in the feed. Um, yes, like my videos won't go to everyone out there who's consuming, but you know, there is a limited amount of human attention that's being put on these platforms every day. There's a limited amount of attention. That's going to become more competitive. The people who are going to win a competitive game are the people that are putting the most effort into learning it and studying it and being good at it. So you have to screen for somebody who has the interest in performing to that level of competition. And they can't be motivated just by money. They have to be motivated by success at the game. That's some deep stuff. That's some, that's, uh, I mean, I, I think also the, uh, the idea there of the analogy to professional sports is a good one because like, I think a lot of people would have trouble imagining even where it is today versus where it was like 20 years ago in terms of like yeah. how much athletes make, how competitive they are, how good they are, the number of, you know, records that are being broken on a consistent basis. And we see on certain platforms today, right? YouTube, the top creators are earning money. That's like that. Yeah. I've heard somebody somebody once told me they were talking about day trading and why you should not try to be a day trader. They're like, it's essentially like walking into the ring with a world-class boxer and saying, I'm going to take you 12 rounds. 
it's not going to happen. Like you are completely outclassed. You have not done the work. You should not expect anything other than to get crushed. And I think that becomes increasingly true of content platforms as well. Like I have some people in my inbox who are like, ah, I know you're completely right about how to do X, Y, or Z. I know I should care about my thumbnails on YouTube, but I just really don't like it. I don't want to do it. Have you seen anybody be successful with really bad thumbnails? And it's like, <laughs> even if that is true, it's only going to get more competitive. Like you have to play the game and put yeah. effort into all aspects of the game if you expect success over the long term. It's just, it's just the world we're living in. Or it's like board games too, right? There are rules. There right. are rules. And somebody's like, oh, like, I drew a sorry card and I don't want to go back to my home base on sorry. You guys know yeah. that game. I and hope. all these things are assets. Too. Oh, it's like, yeah. ah, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I want to win, but I'm not going to take advantage of all the things that I need or I could take advantage of to win. It's like, okay, well, maybe you still win, but your your odds are worse because you're electing to, you know, play with an arm behind your back. Right. Yeah. And you can't do that. Maybe you could do that when it was earlier on, but you can't do that now. So yeah. what should people do? Like if you're trying to, if you're trying to, get in this game, you, you think that you want to be the next creator in some niche, like what are the things that they need to be aware of in 2024 that maybe they didn't need to in the past or, uh, is going to become more important. What should they think about to actually get in this game and like build a following, build a career doing this? Want the risk of belaboring the sports analogies. <laughs> I think you should think of every platform probably as a sport. And if not every platform, at least every medium. So like, it's really challenging to say, I'm going to be both a text-based creator, somebody who's doing a lot in email, in Twitter, in LinkedIn, and a video-based creator on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. Those are two different sports. Each one of those platforms could be considered different sports, but things are starting to blend. Like if you are a good short form vertical video creator, you can probably find success simultaneously on YouTube shorts, TikTok, and reels with a little bit of effort. But if you haven't really started this yet, I would pick a single platform and get good at that because otherwise it's gonna feel like you're trying to become world-class at basketball and golf, just tough. So pick a platform, get really good at it. And if you're not sure which platform to pick, I would think about which platform am I most active on as a consumer? Because as a consumer, you are more likely to pick up on nuances, uh, the culture, the timing, things that work and things that don't work. One of my challenges as a YouTube creator right now is I don't watch all that much YouTube. So the more that I've wanted to be successful on YouTube, the more I've had to spend time watching videos on YouTube because you start to see trends between people who are doing things well you start to get inspiration for what is possible in that medium. If you're closed off to it, it's just going to be a, a slower path. It's, it's not going to be as compressed. So pick a platform, recognize that social media platforms and YouTube are what I would call discovery platforms. And you are basically renting that time. You're renting the habit that somebody has to check their phone and go on Twitter. They're not saying, oh, I need to see what Jay's tweeting. They're saying, oh, I'm just, I'm bored and uncomfortable. So I'm going to open my phone and I'm going to Twitter because that's what I'm doing. And Jay's tweet happens to be there. You can't really build a business on that long-term. You need to create a platform that has distribution that you own. Probably going to be email, podcasting, SMS, private communities. So unfortunately that looks like two platforms now. 
at least. You have a discovery platform <laughs> and you have a relationship platform. And so you are trying to do two things at once, which is hard enough. Trying to do more than that is going to be very, very challenging. That's good advice. Let's go deeper down on even how you know if it's working on one of these platforms. Like, I'm kind of obsessed with this, I think, because at Wistian in the last year, we've launched like three new products and watching how people interact with it is like, is very interesting because it's like, all right, here's this new thing. Are you going to use our editor? A lot of people are going to check it out at first, but then actually, are they coming back? Are you retaining them? Are they saving time? And so it's like looking at retention rate by feature and all this stuff. And then it has to compound over time. And it's like, all right, I think about it very differently today, a year end than I thought about it like one month then. And today, the success looks like a combination of quantitative metrics, how much they're using it, qualitative metrics, how much are people writing it about it, how much are they rating it, a bunch of backend stuff. And you can see that like you put these things together, like, oh, damn, this thing's really working. But it wasn't obvious like two months in. So I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of like, what does it look like when something's early and it is starting to work? So you know, I know you've been pushing harder on YouTube and you're making a lot of progress there. Like, what does that actually look like? What signs should people really take seriously and what stuff should they ignore? Like, what advice do you have for people to cut through the feedback to understand this is real or not? I think about this a lot too. And the, the phrase that's in my mind a lot of times is signals of progress. And this came from a conversation I had with James Clear on my podcast when he was talking about the difference from going from writing a blog where you write the thing, you send it out via email and you get feedback immediately to writing yeah. a book where you're kind of in a hole and you don't get much <laughs> feedback from anyone other than yeah. like your editor or your spouse. Yeah. And it, it's hard to find signals of progress. The enemy of any creator in the beginning is not negative feedback. It's a lack of feedback. It's indifference. Mm -hmm. So you really need to get some amount of feedback in order to measure a signal of progress and a lack of feedback is a lack of a signal of progress. What I personally look for is intense emotional response in the feedback that I receive. Um, because again, no feedback comes from indifference to not have indifference means to have a response and it could be positive. It could yeah. be negative, but I'm looking for yeah. some sort of emotional response. If there's a strong negative response, it's also probably a sign that there is the opportunity for the opposite of that, which is a strong positive response from a different person. Then the question is, am I getting the positive response from the person that I'm trying to have a positive response from? Uh, or did I just piss off the people that I'm trying to have a positive response from? But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, the word that I look for specifically is binge. I really like to hear when somebody who found my content for the first time says, I've been binging your podcast. I've been binging your YouTube channel. I've been binging your articles. That to me is a sign of strong, positive emotional response. And that it's so good that people want more of it. It's like, not only did I enjoy this, but this was a signal to me that I must have more of it. That that to me is like the ultimate signal. If you can get the feedback that you have coming in, however little it is to say, once I found this, I couldn't stop. Then all you need is time. All you need is exposure. All you need is just more. And that's a pretty high bar. If you that's are getting bar. people yeah. who are interacting with your stuff, 
and they aren't binging it, then reaching more people probably isn't going to have that big of an impact for you yet because it's a leaky bucket problem. Not only do you have to reach people, but you have to retain them. You have to retain their attention. You have to retain their interest. And if you reach them and they say, eh, you know, that's not really any better than not reaching them in the first place because your your net number of people who care is going to be the same. You know, you reach a person, they had the opportunity to care, they chose not to care. You need to build uh, an audience of people who care. And so, you know, I think a lot of people focus on new audience acquisition. They don't focus on new audience attention. It looks great for their social following, but over time that actually digs you into a hole. And what you really want to do is be very efficient with the people who you reach and whether or not they care. So can I, let me see if I can say that back and tell me if you agree with this. It's basically early on, you're looking for intensity. And if it's the right intensity from the right group, then the big question I think is like, is the work that you've created, is it concentrated enough that if someone is intense about the first thing and has an intense connection to it, and they also have an intense connection to the other things, then they can binge it. And that's one sign. It's like, it's a high retention rate. Suddenly, yeah. yeah, if you add more people to that audience, they should stick around and it's going to grow versus like bringing way more people in. They barely interact. They don't have a strong feeling. And then actually like you have maybe like a large follower count, but like no one really paying attention. Yeah. Yep. You, you want people to be compelled. If I collide with one piece of things that you've published, I am now going to the second, going to the third. Got it. Yeah. If every piece that you create over time, at some point, you need to have the bar of everything that I make, even if it's not getting attention now, if there's some activating event in the future where something really takes off, this stuff should catch fire too. We, you see it literally in YouTube. Like when we had our first breakthrough video, the, uh, the view curves of our other videos went basically vertical and it was a sign that finally we reached the right audience. And once they found this video, they're like, that was great. Let's see what else they have. Yeah. yeah. And they tried that and they were like, this is great. Yeah. Let's see what else they have. So this is why if we go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, publishing a lot early on is important because it helps you get to the point where you're good enough to create retentive content. That once you do have your breakthrough moment, which honestly comes down to luck, like you have to exist long enough and try long enough that luck finally hits you. But once you have that moment, you've been in the game long enough that you've created enough content that people can go down the rabbit hole and now it really catches fire. Yeah. And it's also, it made me think about like AI too. Pretty hard to make unbelievably high quality content with AI today, but it's pretty easy to like dilute your own brand with it. Yes. And high quality content looks different by audience, by niche, by cultural moment. You know, like yeah. I, I re started rewatching Scrubs, the TV series. First yeah. three seasons of that show, at least, still literally filmed in a square aspect ratio as before we had widescreen TVs. Yeah. So yeah. if you publish that today, you wouldn't think this is like, high quality content before the moment yeah. that it, that wasn't yeah. part of the consideration. So with, with AI today, it's making it easier to have high production looking stuff 
which in the past was a signal of this is higher quality than other stuff because it was different. It was differentiated by yes, the production quality. Yes, 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 yes. Even publishing a high volume of things used to be different. It was a signal that this person is prolific. Those are no longer signals of quality because the bar to achieve them has just gotten so much lower. So now, you know, with every new abundance, there's an adjacent scarcity. It's no longer scarce to be prolific. Now it's scarce to create uniqueness. Insight is more scarce. Uh, emotional connection is more scarce. So that's what I'm looking at now is like, okay, with the abundance of content, what's the new adjacent scarcity? I think it's meaning, it's emotion, it's story, it's unique insight, it's lived experiences. I love that so much. That's such an incredible insight there. Um, and I really feel like really wraps up the moment. Okay, I want to transition to rapid fire. So I have five rapid fire questions for you. Um, are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, good. Um, what's the best advice that someone's ever given you? It's the softball first question. Yeah. It's a softball, yeah, just... just like try to do it in two words. Uh, that, that's uh, you know. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of things like some things that snap to mind that I think are absolutely true and have been game changing for me is uh, I don't like this phrase, but the idea is correct. Your net worth is your network. I completely believe that to be true. Uh, the people that you are around in the network of people you build has a direct impact on uh, your economic success. Uh, there's an old quote by someone named, Earl Nightingale that I don't even know who that is, but <laughs> sounds made yeah. up. Like, sounds made up. That, they sound but old. He said, he, he said, don't, uh, it's something along the lines of time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well take advantage of it. Like don't delay doing something. You have to do that. There's another idea that I thought about for a long time, which is like, you can't steal second base. If your foot is still on first, there is some amount of risk that you have to take. So I think about these things. These things are true. I'll give you one more. The last one, I, I believe, God, it might be Will Smith that said this first, um, that we'll everything that. you want is on the <laughs> other side of like an uncomfortable situation or a scary thing, you know? So like you have to go through that to get to the things that you want. So these are the stories that I replay in my mind a lot because I find myself wanting to play small or play it safe. I turned your rapid fire into a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's great. I love I love the answer. So it's completely it's fantastic. Um, if you could trade places with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Hmm. You're cracking me up, Jay. Hard hitting. Okay. Well, I think I think I suffer from what pretty much everyone suffers from, which is thinking that the grass is greener elsewhere. Totally. So I'd probably want to spend it with somebody who I look to and and say, like, I aspire to that lifestyle. And I think that would probably be an author. And I'm trying to decide which author I think it would be. My first thought was James Clear because he has a very elegant business model, but he lives here in Columbus, Ohio. He's a friend of mine. I feel like I know his life decently well. Yeah, you need I might pick else, someone yeah. like a, I might pick someone like um, Brene Brown. Final answer. There you go. There you go. Great. There Amazing. you go. Because then I also get to feel what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> Two for one. There Very. you go. <laughs> That's going to be the clip. Okay. Ooh. Name something you're low-key good at. Something I'm low-key good at. Um, 
You know how there are certain songs when you hear like the first note, you know immediately what that song is. Yeah. I think after knowing somebody for a period of months, maybe years, but I would go so far as to say months. I can almost tell where they're going after they say like a few words. Like I know what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. I am so tapped into their experience, what we're talking about, why we're in the same space as to what I think this conversation is going to become, which is awesome. And I, I am not right all the time. I would say this is probably like a 50 to 60% hit rate, but it's high enough that oftentimes like I don't fully listen because I, I'm like, I know where this is going. I'm going to tune out until we get to the end and then I'll respond because I'm already formulating the response in my mind. So it's a, it's powerful, but it also really upsets my wife. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing you do that upsets your wife the most? <laughs> That's a joke. Um, <laughs> what's, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, okay. This is an easier one. Uh, Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. Please don't ask me to start singing Love it. it. That's a nice nope, good. You don't have to say it. Um, okay, and finally, the most important question. What's your favorite meal of the day? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. Most days. Uh, he didn't blink. I, yeah. Well, I mean, most days, like are oriented around dinner. I don't even eat full meals a lot of times for either breakfast or lunch. So you have to, which eat I don't think dinner. is like a great. Yeah. Yeah. I have to eat a good dinner. Yeah. You got to do whatever works for you. Got it. Jay, thank you so much. Where can people connect with you to learn more, follow you? What should they do? Check out creatorscience.com. That's where you can get our email list, which is some of my best work. If you like podcasts because you're listening to this, then check out the Creator Science Podcast. If you like YouTube videos because you're watching this, check out the Creator Science YouTube channel. Amazing. Jay, thank you so much for being here. We'll be back right after the break. Hey guys, it's me again. Frank the Ad Guy. And I'd like to tell you about another phenomenal show on the HubSpot Podcast Network. It's called Created. Hosted by former YouTube employee John Yushai, the show gives listeners an inside look at the creator economy with guests like Logan Paul, Paris Hilton, Jason Derulo, Jake Paul, George Lopez, and more. After working at Instagram and YouTube for eight years and writing for Forbes, John shares his best practices for building a business as a creator, improving creative processes, and staying ahead of the latest content trends. Check it out at HubSpot.com slash Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, back to the show. You know what I love about talking to people who are just in it doing it is how specific they can get about how things feel. You know what mm -hmm. Jay was talking about at the end there about really trying to find somebody who has a really deep connection to your content and shooting for that and paying attention to that. And he's obviously doing that himself and he's breaking through on this stuff left and right. I mean, he's not giving advice having not done it. He's giving advice while actually doing it in the moment. and. Yes. So often that is like, that's what we need because the moment's changing, right? Like it's, it's constantly changing what matters in society, which platforms work, which don't all these different types of things. And so 
yeah, I just, I love that. Um, I also loved how the rapid fire <laughs> was like, <laughs> like not the most rapid fire, but no. it was really like thoughtful stuff. So that was a great, great way to wrap up that interview. Yeah. Every piece of advice that he, that he called out, I was like, that's good advice. That's good advice too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, there were so many things I loved about this episode. I, I think it's, it's sort of uh, sad to hear that so many creators just leave when they haven't gotten traction because I know yeah. as a podcast producer, not just for this show, but working on other shows, it really can feel like you're creating in a bit of a vacuum and like you don't know what your impact is. And this this is related, but I, I never post on LinkedIn trying to change that. But I posted just like a little behind the scenes photo of an episode we recorded and said, you know, sometimes work feels like work. Sometimes it feels like this, this being the photo where we're giggling yeah. and having so much fun. And I said, you know, just try to find ways to bring more joy and levity to your nine to five. And people responded to it. And it's sort of this little like, okay, I'm not in a bubble. You hear me. I see you. So it, yeah, the creator journey feels, I think it can feel really lonely. I think it can feel a bit isolating, but I think if you have the perseverance and if you can get good at those two things that Jay was yeah. talking about, right? The relationship platform and the discovery platform. You can do it. You can do you can it. You can do it, guys. And I mean, it's it's the same thing in entrepreneurship of like, if you're starting a company, it is the best way to increase your chances of success is to figure out how to be perseverant, which also sometimes you look pretty crazy. Like we've talked about this before with other guests, like, you know, you could be at this thing for years and feel like you're the only one who's at it. And it, so there's a big question, like, when do you stop? Like, when do you not keep going? But it is ultimately that is like more attempts, more times trying, more opportunities to get lucky, more times to connect. And it's it's one of the hardest things to do, and I, which I think is also why like how you do this stuff matters, right? Like I talk about that a lot. It's just like how you do the work matters. Like if it's fun and it's fulfilling, it's much easier to be perseverant. And if you can be perseverant, you increase your chance of success. And I think that's true if you're starting a company. I think if you're being a creator and you're starting your own company, I think that's true. And I hope that's something that people take away from this episode and the show writ large, right? Is like that perseverance and taking a long-term approach can really add up. And it's cool to see, you know, some examples, especially in this episode, especially of concrete in the moment, you know, on the ground stuff of what that looks like when things start to work. Cause that's what you want to search for, right? Is those moments of extreme delight, extreme passion, extreme excitement. And if you can find those moments that can turn into something bigger. So yeah, another great episode. Um, and please, if you love the show, please rate and review it wherever you consume the content. It helps get the word out there. It's really helpful to us. You can find Sylvia and I both on LinkedIn. She's posting there more. I'm posting there all the time. Uh, <laughs> sharing stuff behind the scenes on the show. Sharing stuff of what we're doing as we're building Wistia. Sharing stuff of my own personal journey. So please check that out. And if you have feedback for us or you have guests that you think we should have on the show, we're getting tons of great suggestions, please email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. That is it. Have a great day, everybody. And we'll see you soon. 
Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com. Wistia.